Hello and welcome to the fifth episode of Coffee and Cocktails. I'm your host, Anne Wand. On today's show, we'll be talking about the use of Camp Franglais among the diaspora in the U.S., the U.K., and France. Our guest for today is Constance Mbasi-Manga, PhD researcher at Lancaster University in the Linguistics and English Language Department. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, as per usual, we'll start off by having you tell us what drink you are having for the show, followed by a little bit about yourself. Would you like to start? Yes. Yeah, so I'm having green tea, coconut and mango flavored green tea, and a little bit of my about myself. I'm born in Paris in the late 60s, went back to Cameroon until the age of 13, came back to France at 14, and now I live in the UK. So I've been living in the UK for 14 years. And I like to say that when people ask me who, where I'm from, I don't know. <laughs> I do remember you saying that you feel kind of like you're a global citizen of the world. Yes, I am, because I actually don't belong anywhere. I think the closest to me feeling at home, funny enough, was in the U.S. because nobody questioned where I came from when I was walking in New York. And I quite like that. I could see that um, there was nothing odd about me because maybe everybody's odd. So nice <laughs> i think i think all of us are a little bit odd inside yeah That's i like thing <laughs> odd's good nobody wants normal and boring um i you know i know we've talked about before the show um quite a bit about the work you're doing i think it's absolutely fascinating um but could you tell us a little bit about the research and sort of topics that you're getting into yes yeah, so i'm looking at camp franglais which is a contraction of cameroon Français, Anglais. It is a an, originally an urban kind of speech form born in the capital of Cameroon and it's kids and students that started using it. So basically they sort of mix French, English and lots of other languages, Latin, Cameroonian languages, German, Italian, you name it. And they're heavily influenced by urban culture. So by urban, I mean hip hop, American and all other varieties. And yeah, so I'm looking at Camp Franglais, not used by teenagers or young people, but by adults living outside Cameroon and looking at why they use it in written or speak, spoken form, what it means to them, what it does for them, etc. And you had said that um, there's even sort of uh, WhatsApp applications where people will specifically only focus on you have to speak Camp Franglais if you want to be a part of this discussion. Yes, there's one of uh, the participants in my research who told me she's part of a group where they communicate exclusively using Camp Franglais and I asked her why and she said because it's like home it reminds me of the good old days when I wasn't a migrant when I was wasn't in a foreign country and um, I know she's not in a particular hurry to return to Cameroon either so I think this is like many well at least a few of the people I know who are caught in the middle so the country they came from is no longer what it used to be and the place where they are doesn't fully accept them either so they find they create their own spaces online and in other you know forms where they can feel at home so would you say that uh, the language can for them almost kind of become a sort of safe space it is yes um how efficient and realistic that is i don't know but it makes them feel good so that's what i'm interested in uh, just trying to understand how people cope with uh, migration and all that you know well, there's a couple item in, um, items I kind of wanted to get into. I remember you saying initially that uh, how you got into the language is that your father was actually a linguistics professor. Yes, he was. So he was actually one of the first um, professors of the, at that time, nascent Cameroonian University. It was the first university in Cameroon because Nigeria and Ghana and other West African, uh, mainly English-speaking countries were ahead. Uh, Cameroon sort of started university later and he was one of the first professors. So he taught linguistics and uh, 
He his PhD thesis was actually done at Leeds University with a lady called Loretto Todd, who's now retired. So I don't know if she listens to this, uh, but um, so he wrote about English language and Cameroon Pidgin English. And I grew up in this environment where it wasn't. He was really open to mixed linguistic registers to what other people call slang or dialect or whatever, because language is what people do. And uh, he really taught me not to attach any stigma to any particular language form, just see it for what it is and understand what people are doing. That's all. That's fantastic. Yes. <laughs> uh, one of the things I know that um, I think would be worth discussing before we kind of get into more crucial items, is this idea of migration, which we've talked about a bit before the show. Uh, and I was wondering if you could just kind of give us your opinion about, firstly, the, the term migrant yeah. and the sort of stigma that it brings with it. Yeah, of course. Well, I have a few terms that I don't like, and migrants yeah. is one of them, because basically... I think what bothers me the most is that it's uh, it sort of assumes that your life started when you arrived in the host country. But these are people with interests and likes. And uh, um, I don't know, they come from different backgrounds. They like different things. They have different socioeconomic buildups. They are some are intellectuals, some are not. Some are dancers, some are singers, some are artists, some are honest, some are dishonest. They're just people. So, And I think that the, the word migrant pigeonholes you into... Um, this box where you're supposed to be a taker and not a giver, when I think most of these people can actually bring a lot to the host country. Um, speaking about Cameroon, Cameroon had uh, a really heavy accent on education. So lots of Cameroonians are highly educated. They come to Western countries and they try to look for jobs. And it's not always easy, but they're not people who come uh, with the aim of living off state benefits or something. They come dreaming of jobs, basically. They come aspiring to work. So I, I don't think the word migrant quite reflects that. I remember you saying, uh, in particular, there was this idea of a brain drain in Cameroon and that um, the majority of the people that you interviewed, the, the I want to say, minimum uh, education they had was a bachelor's degree. And you had mentioned that in many cases you finish your bachelor's and you can't really progress forward and, you know, how are people dealing with that that, that issue? Very badly. <laughs> yeah, what you said is exactly true. So many people in the, in the 60s, 70s and 80s really thought, right, if I get really well educated and I know my stuff really well, I'll find a job. But the thing is, there aren't that many jobs. And unfortunately, there was a stigma attached to manual work and vocational work, which I think is really good and needed in every country. So there's all this generation of people who have bachelor's, master's, PhDs, and are just sitting around. So they have to convert to whatever, you know, uh, they start small businesses if they have a bit of money or which is what explains the brain drain. So many of them want to leave the country as fast as possible by any means necessary because they think in the Western world they find a job that matches their qualification. And how do you think uh, the media goes about sort of assisting or not assisting the sort of um, perceptions that they kind of bring to the table of how, and I use air quotes with the term migrant for lack of a better word on my part, what are the ways in which the media portrays negative stereotypes, but what are the ways in which the media could help in order to modify those stereotypes? I think the media should, well, I'm saying this with all respect because it's not my area of expertise, but I think it would be good if the media could drift away from wanting to sell papers and actually trying to report what's happening on the ground. The, the biggest problem I have is this sort of... Uh, leveled and monochrome, I want to say, uh, with my French accent, <laughs> uh, uh, portrayal of what these people's lives are. So they're all the same, poorly educated, um, struggling to 
you know, fitting the whole society, a problem people. Whereas there's actually a lot going on. There are different types of people who come from other countries and the media could help educate people by reporting what's happening on the ground rather than saying, oh, the migrant looks like this, you know, as a, has a different religion and a different way of behaving and a different set of cultural beliefs and is a problem to be, I don't know, to, that the whole society has to cope with. Or deal with. Or deal with even, yes, exactly. Whereas there could be so much in terms of learning from those people. There could be, I don't know, for example, some of these people who come, so first generation migrants from African countries who are educated could help the kids from different origins who were born, for example, in France, where there's a lot of problem in the banlieues, could help them find out kind of who they are and what they can do. But this negative portrayal means even for those people, they'll come in France, read the papers and think, oh, I don't want to deal with the kids in the banlieues. Yeah. Because everybody reads that those papers, including migrants. <laughs> so it's just educating people about what's what's on the ground and what people really look like. And uh, So how do you think your research kind of helps with providing information from the ground, especially in terms of this idea of home and belonging? Um, well, I think there aren't that many researchers, well, there are, let me correct that, let, let me rephrase that. There are many researchers from Africa, but they tend to, not many of them write about this, these topics. I don't know why. Either they're completely into migration or, but this crossover between language and um, migration is quite unique, if I, I may say so. Um, I, I'm hoping to shed a light on different aspects. On, the, For example, migrants are often portrayed as people who need homes, and of course they do, uh, schools for their kids, uh, healthcare. But actually I think a big problem is the, the feeling of not belonging in, in, in a place because that means you can't really engage positively. If every time you step out of your, your flat or your house, you feel, right, I have to brace myself and uh, you know prepare for whatever, abuse, insults, um, people just looking down on you. And or asking, like was it the sans-papiers? Yes, if you don't have the, the identification or the administrative documents that you need. People asking systematically, where are you from? <laughs> Which is like, can you just let me be? <laughs> um, I, I think... I'm hoping to say, hey, people have other basic needs. I think human beings need to be accepted above all. I know there's this Maslow um, scale of needs, and of course you have to eat and stuff. I know that. But past those basic needs, people need to be treated like human beings and, and recognized as human beings. And the box migrant um, is very strong. It's a very strong label because automatically means you don't belong, which is why I'm talking about home and belonging. So how what role does come from Franglais play in this idea of belonging, especially being away from a home country? Well, to my surprise, it plays apparently a, a, quite a big role. Uh, when I started speaking to the eight participants in this study, they started saying things like, this is my national language, or the ones that use the WhatsApp um, group that only communicates in Camp Franglais were saying, I like that place, I feel that I belong there, I feel that I'm... You know, it was like when we were kids, our parents had money, we lived in big houses, and, and now I'm in France and I don't have much money and I, my life is much harder. So it sort of reminds them of, of a time where they, when they didn't even wonder about who they were or where they came from. That was a given. And all they had to do was go to school and go about their daily lives. And they've suddenly shifted to this reality where they have to explain themselves all the time and uh, justify their presence kind of thing. Um, it's like uh, when I was a teenager, well, in my late teens, I used to say I discovered that I was black in France because when I was in Cameroon, I didn't think about that at all. So that's that's why this home and belonging thing is so important. And there was uh, one of the informants that you talked about, and I thought this was really telling, and this was one of your informants who was based in France, and she said that 
um, she has to use a certain way of speaking. And you said that when she speaks French, she speaks a white accented French. And that's obviously quite different to the chem franglais that she uses amongst family and friends. And I thought that was really interesting because you do get this idea, at least in the U.S., in terms of these, which I think is ridiculous, this idea of supposedly sounding white or sounding black, which is ridiculous. You're a person and you sound like a person. But there is a stigma that is attached to it. And I know um, Obama received quite a lot of criticism for sounding white. Ridiculous. Uh, and I think that it, it shows that there's a lot of transparency and a lot of transfer in terms of how outside of the English speaking context, there is that pressure to present yourself in a certain way. Would you say with Kem Franglais, it allows you to sort of be yourself? I think so. Um, <laughs> all the people who use that um, linguistic register, so they have these different types of French. First of all, they have the Cameroonian French, standard French with the Cameroonian accent when they speak with family lest they be accused of being whitewashed or whatever the term is. And then when they're speaking to so white French people, they will adopt an accent that's as close as possible to the white French accent. And then they will use Camfonglais maybe with their friends. So you have to constantly change gears or, you know, know okay, I'm, I'm in this context and this is how I'm going to speak. I don't personally use Camfonglais, but I know that when I travel to Cameroon, as soon as I land at the airport, I, we have the customs uh, officers are kind of a tricky bunch to, in what <laughs> to, sense? to navigate well. They are, I think uh, Cameroon is, has been in a quite severe economic crisis for a while. So their salaries are kind of tiny. So they'll try to grab whatever they can. So they'll try to find fault with your suitcases. So as soon as I land there and I've, I've caught myself doing that without planning it, I change accents. I, I switch to the strongest Cameroonian accent that I have. I take this sort of a humble attitude and I'm like, oh, you're the bosses. And uh, yeah, because I don't want to spend my afternoon at the customs office, basically. I want to sail through. So you adapt as a human being. Because if I speak as I do naturally, my French is sort of mixed between a so-called white French accent and you know you can sort of sense that I'm an African background person. If I do, if I speak like I would naturally, that's gonna, it's not gonna go down well. For many of them, they'll say, "Oh, so you come from Europe, so you have money." That's the perception. So yeah, I don't want that. So I think it's natural we all do that. But uh, yes, that that's a participant. What you said is very relevant. People do lots of things to survive. You know, to to sort of swim under the water and not be noticed too much. And also, there's another participant who said he changed his accent because he wanted to be understood. He wanted to make sure the white French people he was speaking to would understand him. Others uh, changed their accent because they want people to th to believe that they're educated because some people associate a strong African accent with lack of education. So there's a lot of things going on there. Yeah. That's interesting. But you would also said in your research, which I, I you know, found incredibly interesting, is that Kem Franglais actually has a reputation of being associated with the uneducated in Cameroon. And yet you have basically the most educated of educated people using that language in other countries. Why do you think that's the case? Well, because the Cameroonian um, sort of the, 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 the educa educated people and the educators in Cameroon were very strongly influenced by the colonial languages. So Cameroon was colonized by the Germans. But then when the Germans lost the war, 
uh, so the Second World War, the country was split between France and uh, the UK. France had 80% and the UK uh, sort of, sup- I don't know, it's not supervised, the word is, uh, it was a protectorate. So the UK took care of 20% of the country. So those were the national languages. And this is a language that has, uh, a country that has, sorry, over 280 sort of languages and dialects. So the president at the time, after independence, the first Cameroonian president thought, right, how do we unify this? And so he imposed French and English in the different parts. And everybody had to be well-educated in French and or English or both. And uh, so in school, anything that was not French or English was not, was frowned upon. Um, my mother, so she was a generation that started school when Cameroon was not independent and sort of as an, as, as an adult, Cameroon became independent. She told me when she was a teenager, she was not allowed to speak her Cameroonian language and she would be flogged if she if they caught her teaching her language to other Cameroonian kids. So it was a really heavily on, you speak French. You have a Francophone identity or an Anglophone identity, depending on the side of the country you grew up in. So, And when I was in school, Cameroon Pigeon English, which is sort of a broken English that's mainly used in markets, um, and, and Cam Franglais were... The, the teachers, I think you, I, I don't know, I never really spoke those in school, but you would be punished, uh, you could be flogged, you could be suspended. I mean, these were really, educators in Cameroon do not like those uh, forms of speech. <laughs> they, do, they want people to speak standard French and standard English. Would you say that's why quite a few of your participants that you mentioned in your research, uh, the parents were quite adamant that they spoke French in the household? Yes, because the other thing was people who came from remote villages where everybody spoke uh, the Cameroonian language. Ulu was one of them. Yes, or any other Cameroonian language. uh, They would then go to, they would start going to school and struggle with French or English. Mm. So, uh, you know, the kids would grown up with only their, their, Cameroonian mother tongue. It's interesting because my father and many um, educators have are, are saying this now, always thought that people, it was good for people to learn their whatever uh, native tongue, the, the home language basically, and then to be accompanied into learning whatever Western language afterwards. But I think, I don't know, something needs to be figured out. The system isn't uh, working very well. So a lot of people from the countryside or remote areas really struggle with French and English. And then the perception was that they were poorly educated. So the parents did not want that. Their parents wanted their kids to succeed. Um, and success was equated with Western languages. So it's really, it's a, a terrible mindset. It's really difficult to break. But I also think that that kind of perception exists worldwide. Yes, it does. Um, I think that uh, one of the things you talked about was that there was this perception that if you do not learn one of the Western languages and if you stick with, uh, I guess, the mother tongue or the home language, that you would be unable to learn the second language. Whereas you and I both know from our work studying languages that actually if you already are familiar with other languages, the ability to acquire other languages can actually become easier. Um why do you think politicians are so hesitant to be exposed to that reality, despite all the research being done by linguists? linguists? Uh, I'm not sure. For a place like Cameroon, I think it was because they were afraid that the, all the regional identities would, would grow stronger with the knowledge of the language and the accent on languages, which would then become a situation where maybe people would, regions would want to be independent. I don't know what they're afraid of, but personally, my, my father taught us, uh, raised us with 
My father's uh, Cameroonian language, which is Pongo. My mother's Cameroonian language, which is Douala, French and English. And I studied German, started studying German when I was nine or 10. So, and I, well, I've lost German because I don't have many people to speak it with, but it never, it was never a problem. Maybe some people don't know how to handle it. I grew up speaking all, all of those languages and I was absolutely fine. And my sister started with English because she was uh, in Leeds with my parents when my father was doing his PhD. So when she came back to the French-speaking part of Cameroon, she spoke French with an English accent. But within six months, it was fine. So it's not a real problem. It's just, I don't know why people are so scared. Maybe because it means a lot to people. Language means so much to people in terms of who they are and their identity. I guess politicians are afraid that uh, people will then start claiming their identities rather than thinking of themselves as a national unified group. I know that I discovered recently that uh, there were other languages in China. Uh, it's quite a few. I had no idea. I just thought it was, uh, you know, there's one language, but actually lots of regional languages were quashed by the government. Um, so I think it's a similar thing. Mm -hmm. um, unify a, a country. So it's the idea of the nation state. One country, one language, you pledge, pledge allegiance to it and that's it. And more to the point, you use education as a tool in order oh, yes. to promote yeah. that national language. Exactly. It's, it's in school that you learn to hate uh, other languages. It's in school that you learn to look down on your... In Africa, it's very, it was very strong uh, when I was a kid. Lots of people looked down on their home language, which is really sad. So when they'd have their parents come who maybe spoke mostly that language, they'd be ashamed and things like that. I was very, very lucky because I grew up in a household where that was not a problem. First of all, my two grandmothers, one was... Not, uh, she didn't learn to read or write at all. And all she spoke was her language. That's my dad's mom. And my mom's mom um, was taught by the Germans to read and write her language because the Germans did it differently. They created dictionaries, grammar books and stuff in each language of the country. So my grandma, um, on my maternal side, she learned to write, read and write Douala. And then she spoke very little French, um, but uh, she was reading her Bible and speaking in Douala with me and uh, she was educated. She didn't know how to speak French or English. Who cares? She knew bits and bobs. She was very fluent in uh, Cameroon Pidgin English because she did her market every day and that was the currency. It's the lingua franca, basically. But yeah, I was taught to respect all languages. But it's funny because when I started this um, research, I believed in bounded languages. I'm a translator by training. So when you're a translator, you translate from English into French. So when I started reading about language not being sort of being fluid and stuff, I struggled with that for about a year. I caught myself thinking, oh, this is not proper French and thinking, hang on a minute, you are doing exactly what you say others are doing. So uh, it's, I'm not throwing any stones at anybody. Yeah. But I think it's also um, as a researcher, it's hard not to for it, for it not to be personal. Oh, yeah. You know, especially when you can see yourself in the research, even if it's on a completely different area. There's a reason you're interested in it in the first place. And so, of course, a part of you is going to be in it in some form or fashion. And it might be in the most surprising sense where, like you said, you're going, I'm just as bad as the person, the people that I'm criticizing. But at least you can recognize it and go, okay, why is it that I'm coming to these conclusions? Maybe I can better understand why they're coming to those conclusions. Absolutely. I think my first shock was when uh, my supervisor start asked me, um, so do you code switch at all? And I said, uh, what do you mean? In the same conversation, switching from English into French at home with my kids, he said, yeah, I said, absolutely not. <laughs> and then he laughed and I got home and of course I could switch. <laughs> but I, I thought, I'm a purist. I would never do that. But yeah, it's really, it's really funny. But I, I don't know why language is so central. I think it's really key in determining who we are and defining who we are. Because it's the first thing people hear, isn't it? 
whether you sign, I mean, I'm not here figuratively, whether you sign or whether you speak, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It is. And um, I, based on your work, what do you think, now that you've done this research and you've interviewed several people, what do you think Chem Franglais is used for in diasporic communities? Well, I think they use it to sort of try to define themselves. So you mentioned the space where they feel safe. They're sort of creating, I like, was it Omibaba's term? I hope I'm right. Uh, the third space term where you're sort of a neither nor. Um, I like to define myself as a third space human being. So I think they create this third space in between the, the country of origin and the host country where they can be themselves. And then they can shift so they can switch between different identities depending on the most interesting one. I like Bourdieu's notion of a linguistic capital. So they'll look at, right, okay, what is the one that will give me the most sway and power here in this position? So it might be French with a white accent. It might be Camfranglais. It might be Cameroon English. It might be English. And they just use all these resources. What would you say was the most interesting result that came out of your findings? Um, I think the, the, the ones that make me chuckle are the ones who started saying, no, no, I don't really use Camfranglais. And then they say, actually, after 10 minutes of talk, ah, I do speak it with my friends. So I'm like, yeah, <laughs> let's be a little bit realistic here. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really funny that the things we think we should say when we're asked about our language practices or people there were, um, I did the master's research on Francophone Cameroonians in London and I could see some people orient towards this discourse of uh, education is good because they perceived me as, okay, she's doing this research at university. Ooh, this is a brainiac, which actually, really, anybody doing research knows the first thing you discover is not how little of a brainiac you are. <laughs> but, yeah, but they would have this perception that I'm a so-called intellectual and say, oh, I think school is very important. So uh, higher education and university. So how much university did you do? Uh, actually, I dropped out of school in secondary. I'm like, yeah, that sounds about right. It's really fun what people do so that was the most surprising thing I wasn't aware of that at all that's, and that's that's really great um how would you say I know we've um, talked a bit about this idea of home and belonging but how does Kem Franglais focus as an identity marker um I think um because Cameroon is one of the only African countries that has French and English um, I'm thinking about other countries that have several Western languages. I can't really think of any in Africa. Maybe there are, so forgive me if I'm wrong. But that's, uh, um, it was something that was sold a lot by the, um, the government when I was a teenager. So the bilingual country, when it's actually a multilingual country. But I think uh, because Camfranglais brings together French, English and Cameroonian languages, it's a unique thing. Nobody else uses that. Most other African countries have similar urban registers, but then there's one African language or several African languages, but always one Western language, whereas this is a unique one with French, English and other languages. It's really markedly Cameroonian. Um, and I think uh, people, when they're being called migrants and not, maybe they don't, they're not comfortable with whatever identity people put on them. They, they, this is a way of saying who they are something that they can control. I know one of my first uh, um, participants told me he spoke Camfranglais as a teenager because he, he his mom couldn't tell him off for using wrong grammar, basically. This was his space with his friends where they got creative and they did their thing. So it's always about deciding who you are yourself as opposed to people telling you who you are. That's I think that's basically it. Wow. When I also remember you saying that it evoked a series of emotions and heartwarming seemed to be something that cropped up quite a bit. Yes. What do you think that is? I, I, I don't know. I think uh, a lot of Cameroonians my generation, so I'm well into my late 40s, um, 
the Cameroon has changed so much. In the 70s, it was one of the countries with the highest educational uh, you know, the best educational results in Africa. It was uh, thriving economically. And uh, we were all born sort of uh, late 60s, early 70s in a country where there was work, where things were f good, where people were very well educated, where you could easily go from Cameroon with a degree <laughs> and uh, integrate in a Western society with no problems at all. And economically, the country has been going down so fast in the last 30, 40 years, I think people want to hold on to that happy Cameroon memory and Camfranglais is a way of doing that for them. Um, because that's, that's, what, that's why they talk about heartwarming um, you know, feelings and, oh my God, when we were teenagers, it was so nice, blah, blah, blah. We thought we had problems then. We didn't know what life was going to reserve for us, you know, things like that. Right. It's, it, some might say it's delusional, but I think people, they find they're happy where they can, you know, um, I like watching some movies or whatever people find. And for them, these spaces where they can use Camp Franglais are part of being happy, basically. Well, now I know our listeners are probably dying to hear a bit of Camp Franglais. But I was wondering, seeing as you look not just at Camp Franglais, but you also look at Cameroonian Pigeon English and French, would it be possible to take a simple phrase starting in English and then maybe translate it into French, Pidgin English and Camp Franglais so we could just sort of hear the differences? Yeah, I'll try. Uh, for any Camp Franglais speakers, sorry, because I'm really not, I'm a researcher studying Camp Franglais, so you'll forgive my mispronunciations. But uh, say, let's say, for example, um, he went back home or he came back home. Yeah, that's English. And in French, you say, il est rentré à la maison or il est retourné à la maison. In Camp Franglais, you say, il est back à la longue. So I think that was quite uh, okay. And in Pigeon English again, which I speak really badly, it'd be something like, uh, he, he, don't, he don't come back for house. So there's, you can hear bits and bobs in there, you know, of different things. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, would you say that um, Kem Franglais could become an official, air quote, national language of Cameroon? I don't think so, because even the people who use it tend to use it for informal conversation. And uh, one of many of them told me if I if I want to, so I start, for example, one of them does business with people in Cameroon. He starts off with Camfranglais, just the greetings and stuff. And then when he comes down to business, he switches to French. And many of them do that. They just... I think we're all really heavily influenced by the educational educational system and this message that you need standard languages for serious business. So, yeah, I, I doubt it. But it's a nice unifying thing in a cultural sense. I don't think it will make its way into official documents or stuff. Pigeon has yet to make its way into official documents, apart from the Bible, which I really like... Um, all the Bible societies, because they want people to read the Bible, basically. So they translated in everything, you know, which is how Pigeon got written down. But, um, yeah, I doubt that that will happen for Camfranglais. I mean, some comic strips use Camfranglais in writing. Then comes the problem of how do you write it? Do you write it the way it sounds? Do you write it following a French, uh, you know, spelling rules? Do you write it following English spelling rules? Do you write it following Cameroonian language spelling rules? What do you... So that's another problem. Um, but um, yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a performative thing. People play with it a lot, especially on social media. So I think, and actually it's good if it stays that way because people have fun with it. I think if it becomes official, then we're back to imposing rules and codes. And, and forced language. Exactly. <laughs> what do you think are the long-term benefits of this research? 
Um, I'm hoping to talk about home and belonging. I know there's a lot of research already about home and belonging, but through the medium of language, again, I haven't seen much. But I think it's really important to not only think <coughs> in economic terms. I think most research on home and belonging are focused on economic success, basically, stability, being able maybe to buy a house and have a good job and to put kids in good schools. And don't get me wrong, these things are really important. But I would like to look at less essential things, well, what people think is less essential. So how people can fit in into society, how society can accept people coming from somewhere else, provided they make a positive contribution. I think that was the idea behind the French integration. But then it became about wiping out, um, erasing all the characteristics that French society didn't agree with and only keeping the ones, the ones they were happy with, which is a little bit yeah. When it's that fine line between integration and assimilation. Yeah, I don't know. It's just a tricky one, isn't it? I actually liked um, the, the the francophone thing. I know it was it, it, the imposition of la francophonie on, on, on former colonies. I kind of like it. I know a lot of African background people resent it. But it meant that as a young Cameroonian from the French-speaking regions, you read Voltaire and Hugo and, and you really got interested into what you know, centuries of French literature and poetry and and uh, critical thinking. There's so many philosophers from France. I think France and Germany are probably the most prolific areas with social scientists and people. And I think all that thought is really important. Um, but then, then people have to go back to whatever their origin is in terms of being interested in what has been written or not written uh, about their regions. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Is assimilation stronger? Is it... Complete erasure of. I, I know within my own work, assimilation is a, a very sensitive topic because assimilation brings with it this idea of losing your identity. So, how yeah. do you become a part of society but also remain an individual? Uh, yeah, I see. I, so, I can, yeah. I can see how that might be problematic. I would only say that identities are really fluid to me. Um, I know that I've had a, a few quite animated, not as a, and this is a sort of a euphemism, discussions with Africans who are trying to tell me what I'm supposed to be. Um, yeah. I, I, the whole, oh, this is my identity thing, I think it's delusional. A lot of Africans um, stay in the Western world 50 years and think they haven't changed. And after five years, their speech has changed, their habits have changed and everything. And they're like, no, 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 I'm authentic. I'm like, you cannot live in another country and say you're completely impermeable to what's around you. That is not possible, but they hold on to this idea. So I don't know what it means. For example, I'm quite loose with identity. Mm. I'm quite loose. I'm an African background, Cameroonian background, woman, Christian, whatever. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay with all that mixture. I don't mind. But I know some people are more, it's really important to them and I respect that. I, I just think, uh, I know a lot of people hate integration, but yeah, I, I think the idea was to educate people and yes there was the colonial idea that the french culture was superior i know that but maybe we can take something that was not that had some kind of bad intentions and take the best of it that's my take on it um but yeah it's personal and i know people will probably be offended but yeah well i i think you'll have a lot um to give to the listeners in terms of things to think about uh, and so with that, I'd like to say that it's it from us at Coffee and Cocktails with your host, Anne Wand. 
And again, I'd like to thank you, Constance, for joining us at the studio this afternoon. And for those of you who've enjoyed the show, please feel free to explore our Facebook page at Coffee and Cocktails One, where you can learn more about upcoming episodes, as well as contact us on Twitter at Cafe N Cocktails. That's it for now. Thanks for listening and have a great week. <laughs>